What is the difference between being punk and being a punk? We are here to talk some punk rock, some music comics. Punk culture, DIY shit, anything we want to talk about. That's, that's what fascinates me. Give me everything. Absolutely everything. I find that, that music and comics have always been intertwined. Mutspout. Chicks okay. dig it. Don't worry. <laughs> Welcome to Mutt's Out, episode 10? I don't know. Yeah, whatever. It stops mattering after a while, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're brought to you by Stupid Rad Merch Company. They um, make some Stupid Rad merch. It's um, anything It is stupid. It is rad. It is merch. (laughs) If you're looking for any of those three things, that's where to go. (laughs) Um, And so I got Ben with me. I'm Eric. And um, John is taking... Some time off right now from the podcast to take care of some personal things, and um, we look forward to his return. And uh, we send him our well wishes. Mm-hmm. And Ben, you want to kick us off with our uh, our topics? Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, I've, I first uh, want to say um, I'm going to start with some good news. Um, so my band uh, put out a new song last December uh on christmas eve actually and uh we just reached twenty five thousand views or twenty five thousand streams on spotify which is kind of a cool feeling because like never had anything do that well that's got to be at least like 20 cents or something right well that's (laughs) that's the joke right so uh we'll get into that a bit more later (laughs) it's what's that so we'll probably get into that a bit more later but (laughs) I, I feel like getting into it right now, actually. Okay. Um, you know, I did the math because oh. I like math. So I looked up one of my favorite venues in, in the city um, to see what their capacity was. And it was 450. Okay. okay. Lee's Palace here in Toronto. Okay. Famous um, in, uh, in Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Yep. Well, a, a lot of venues, most of the venues in Scott Pilgrim are, are Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played at most of them. Lee's Palace is my favorite, though. Um, yeah, so Lee's Palace can hold 450 people. So I did the math. And uh, 25,000 streams in a month is about uh, 800 listens a day for 30 days. So essentially, we could play almost two packed Lee's Palaces back to back seven days a week for a month and that would be equivalent to the amount of streams on spotify but we'll get 50 cents yeah it's uh, a little weird yeah it's pretty you know? up. well it just seems like the math is i'm not saying that i want all the money that i would get from ticket sales to lee's palace right but even then probably not going to get much of that either so like that's kind of the subject at hand today. It would be I one think. thing though if there wasn't a lot of money coming from that, and you were just not getting a lot of money because there was one a lot of money. But there's a lot of money flowing through there with yeah. the ad revenue and all that. And that's a hundred percent true. That's that's the real problem. It's not the problem that it's not making a lot of money because it is <laughs> that you don't get any of it. Yeah, and. Um... Further to that, I don't know how much it is to buy stock in Spotify, but 
the majority of the funds that go into record companies' hands, uh, and I learned this thanks to the the Canada Land podcast, particularly uh, the um, the show Commons, they're doing something on Monopoly. And uh, for anybody who listens to podcasts, Canada Land is fantastic. They do amazing work. Um, and they're sort of like a journalist. They started as a journalism sort of critique uh, show, and they've branched out into all sorts of different things. I don't know if you remember. There's a guy, a Canadian dude named John Gomeshi. Mm. Um, he was a uh, personality on Canadian television, on the Canadian public broadcasting, CBC. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very, uh, very famous and very successful in journalism. And some information came to light that he had uh, done some pretty terrible things with women and kind of used his power in very dark and also really just weird ways, Uh like uncomfortably weird ways. And uh, it all came became public because of Candleland. They were the first people to kind of key into it. And um, the dude who did it was warned by all his journalist friends don't talk about this don't uh, do this this is uh you know career suicide and he did it anyway so anyway that's canada land and okay. so they recently did a, a piece on um the monopoly in music and the record companies in early 2000s probably somewhere around 2010 um made a deal with spotify where they basically negotiated the terms for how much uh, they would get per stream. And they got to dictate the downstream ancillary costs, like what they were going to, what cut they were going to take and so on and so forth. They made that deal with Spotify. And there's a part of the contract apparently where they're, they have like a privileged status. So they have uh, first access to all the playlists. They basically control the platform. So okay, I never thought. Okay, so I've always thought of it as Spotify is making a whole crap ton of money, and the uh, cent pennies are going from them. But I guess I've never considered that the record company is getting a chunk, and it's the cartel, pennies are coming man. from the record company. Yep, it's a cartel, and I mean that in the in the true sense of the word. Like I'm not saying this is not hyperbolic. Like a cartel is an organized criminal organization that controls a resource right Uh um in this case the resource is just something that we don't think about but music is a resource it's just legal like (laughs) yeah and it's i think it's one of the most human things that we do Mm -hmm. you know along with carpentry and and food (laughs) you know it's kind of up there so you know the it's it's weird how and this kind of connects with the recent information that came out from Wizards of the Coast as well about we almost had another sort of contractual stifling of creativity. Um, and in that case, it looks like the community responded. So I guess for anybody who isn't as familiar with that, um, mm-hmm. so Wizards of the Coast is the owner of Dungeons and Dragons these days. And um, they've always had an open license for people, podcasters. Um, there's people that put together YouTube channels based around playing Dungeons and Dragons. They all have their characters and people watch it. And um, 
they were basically revoking that license or tightening it and looking to profit off of it um, mm -hmm. all of a sudden after years of being open. And there's some, some there's like full businesses built around this now. And that was going to be like crashing. But people went up in arms about it and we were able to stop it. Yeah. I guess the question for me is, there's also been some recent developments with the YouTube monetization uh, system where independent media organizations are being silenced under the, and I, I, I don't take this lightly, but under the guise of misinformation, which mm -hmm. regardless of how you feel on the political spectrum, I think we can all agree has been weaponized and misused a fair amount in the last few years. I've been misinformed about misinformation, one could say. Um, and you know, beyond like, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons, well, you know, arguably it's like, who gives a shit? It's just <laughs> a game. Who cares? But, you know, speaking, speaking from like with my musician hat on, I got to say, like, you ignore this at your peril mm -hmm. because I never had a choice as a fan of music back in the day to make different choices about how I pursued music. I remember when Napster came out. Yeah. And it seemed like this revolution, you know, and uh, I was poised, <laughs> you know, I, I was uh, 14 years old and I had I had uh, a first period computer class. Right. And I was like, God damn, I'm downloading albums, bro. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, I would say with without any sort of doubt that if it hadn't been for Napster, I don't know if I would be a musician. The amount of yeah. access that it gave me. Um, and I remember labels freaking out and saying that this was not going to be good for business. But I also remember a lot of great music being distributed yeah. independently. The, the, there's, it's, uh, it's not a coincidence that the rise of Napster and the rise of indie music happened simultaneously. They're part of the same equation. Yeah. And uh, I wonder how much more great creativity we could have if the labels hadn't litigated music sharing into oblivion because now it's a business unfortunately right i just wonder what that like what kind of change would have happened and dnd it's like yeah who cares people said the same thing about music and here we are and like let's be honest radio sucks yep it's not by <laughs> accident for a long ass time I yeah mean... <laughs> yeah and you know i it doesn't take long learning about radio and how like it's declined and the reasons for that for you realize it's the same fucking people it's the the music labels purchased uh you know shell companies that purchased radio frequencies yeah and now here we are and the indie stuff the day delegated to two in the morning on the, <laughs> on sunday nights <laughs> like yeah like, I remember the day that I learned that there was a Virgin Radio in Toronto. And I was like, a what? <laughs> like, why? How is that even legal? Right. You know, that's that seems insane to me. Like, the only one that should be guaranteed, uh, in Canada at least, is the one that's publicly funded. And then, definitely don't trust it. Like, <laughs> find some alternatives right <laughs> make sure you can verify you know at least 
Yeah, it just seems like everybody's coming for the creatives right now. And, like, I worry about what that means. Well, you think of uh, all the times, like, even when it comes to even creating comics and things, but, like, the amount of times you have to think, stop and think, is what I'm doing, like, is some, am I doing something that's cop, like got a copyright on it? Like, yep. you have to stop and think like a lawyer. And all that legal stuff is so over anybody's head that isn't a lawyer that you're just, like, it feels like you're gambling constantly with properties. Um, and even just. Yeah. I, like, when was the last time that you saw a story that had a laser sword in it? Right. I'm not about to try that shit. <laughs> right. You know, it's like you don't even have to make it illegal. I don't know if it's copyrighted. I'm not going to find out. Right. It's, I can't it's afford scary. to lose my house. Like, and you will. Yeah. It's it's a chilling effect, right? And it it stifles innovation. And um, when it ahead. comes to music, like before we started this podcast, we had several conversations about having music on the show and mm-hmm. voting bands that way. And we had we talked to, to like dozens of different people trying to figure yeah. out if there was a way to do it. Like people experienced in podcasting and also music. Yep. Couldn't find a single way to make it happen. Nope. Nobody's nobody does that if they're in podcasts because we don't make any money off of this. We can't afford lawsuits for that. And and it doesn't even matter if somebody you could have a dozen emails saying that it's okay to use a music track on your show. As soon as a record company has access to that and is monetizing it your show is getting shut down. <laughs> yep. So, yep. And like the thing that I can't get around, the thing that makes no sense to me when I, when I try and work this out is it's the, it's the dumbest move in all of business history because you know how much money you could make if you partnered with people instead of treating them like slaves. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the, and now it's getting to the point where people who want to go to shows are being treated like slaves. Like the Ticketmaster fiasco. Yeah. The fact that Ticketmaster and and Live Nation were allowed to be the same company, that no one raised a single stink. Musicians have been, I don't know if you were watching, but musicians have been uh, testifying in front of the Senate. Yes. Because of this issue. That's wild. Yeah, but it's like, isn't the Senate the reason this happened in the first goddamn place? And it's it's wild that it's it's not it's not new at all, and it was never. I mean, like, was it Pearl Jam in the '90s that went up against Ticketmaster? Like, yep. And it just kind of faded, and it never got fixed. Nope. And I didn't go to. I, there was a long period where I didn't go to a show that was sold by Ticketmaster. I was going to small shows at the door, like. And so, like, I remember a couple of years ago, I wanted to get tickets to Weezer. Mm-hmm. And I put the tickets in my cart, got to the end, and they damn near doubled in price. And I was like, I can't afford these tickets anymore. Like, I just can't justify that cost. I was okay before, but now it's like $70, $80 more. I can't do that. That's insane. And you know what really grinds my gears about that is, like, if you're gonna if you're going to fuck me, just say you're going to fuck me. Yeah. Why do I got to go through the entire checkout process before I find out there's a dick involved? There's like, and you know what? There's times where I'll be going to buy something and there's and other services and stuff where the product might be 30 bucks. And then when you get to the end, uh, it t- tosses on 10 bucks, even on some Kickstarters where I think that yeah. I'm 
like all of a sudden the shipping comes into it and you're like, ah, fuck. But like, yeah, if they were charging me 40 bucks initially, I might have been OK. But it's that shock at the end where all of a sudden there's an extra ten dollars. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So and even, I, you know, let's let's get into the Kickstarter situation too. why are shipping costs so high. Could yeah. it be perhaps that there's only a handful of companies that control all the shipping in North America and they dictate the terms for the rest of us? Yeah. Like once again, we're slaves. This is ridiculous. Like. My my, it, it doesn't seem like there's a single place you can turn that hasn't been turned into a billboard or or had spikes put on it so you can't sleep on it or it's kind of nuts. Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my head around where, you know, we are a punk rock podcast. What is punk rock? It's supposed to be the musical representation of freedom. Like raw, unadulterated freedom. Where you can actually participate in a borderline violent act with your friends, as long as no one gets hurt, it's all it's all good. Like moshing is not it's not a kind process, right? It's not a hug, <laughs> you know. Uh, and the music that we're listening to is not you know the gentle tones of Mozart, right? There's there's a there's an aggression and a violence to it. We're allowed to do that. We give ourselves license to do that together in a room. Like, where are the free places now? I don't know. Like, I I'm, I worry about that. You know, there. I remember when skateboarders could go down the street, and now there's no place to to grind. So why the fuck would they do it? One of the last um, bastions of freedom, I think, is like the complete opposite of punk rock. Is like the library. And that's hanging out for dear life. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the library was always a free place, though. I, I think the fact that it's the last bastion is kind of sad. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be the place you go when nothing else was happening. It just means nothing else is happening. <laughs> I guess, you know, the what I would like to discuss, if... if uh, if we're able is um, how do we take it back? Hmm. Because, you know, all this, all this history we have, all these stories of, you know, proud epic music moments or great comic books or um, beautiful stories that were told like Star Wars or whatever you want to choose, Lord of the Rings, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, how did it all become about creative control and and monetization? And how do we stop that from happening? How do we not even stop it, but just build something else that's out of that room? I think um, one thing is like the, the, I mean, as an artist, it's shit's expensive to make. And so like you need funding. So you're always trying, like your goal often, no matter how indie you love to be, your goal, like if somebody says, you know, I can publish that for you. Like you have to think about it because it's so damn expensive to do it yourself. And then once you're doing that, you're potentially losing something in that. I mean, you have to lose something because somebody's got to gain something to bother with you anyways. Hmm. Um, so I think that I mean, money is kind of the root of the problem. Like from the get go. Do you, th do you think it might be just that money doesn't have an actual like foundational value anymore? 
Like my problem isn't money. I used to think it was like when I was younger and I didn't really understand how economics works. I used to be like, money is a problem. We shouldn't, we should just abolish money and problems would get solved. And I've realized, no, we just replace it with shells or cords or right. something else. Like some, yeah. We're going to need some sort of form of currency, but now I'm kind of like, I think the issue might be that eggs don't have an inherent value. Like the actual stuff that we buy the money, buy with the money has lost its, it's like, it's, it's re relevance. So yeah. it's like one day eggs are $2 and one day they're 20. Well, I, I can't budget for that. Right. I can't plan for that. There's no, it's too, it's, there's too much chaos. And, and then on, on top of that, it's like, I'm trying to be a creative person, but right. If I'm spending so much time just busting ass trying to pay for a carton of eggs, I don't have much time with drumsticks in hand, you know, right. or you don't have time with a pencil in your hand, you know, and I, I feel like I feel anxious about this in it, like a angry and anxious because, mm -hmm. um, as we talked about with Billy on the last episode, I need, the, I need to be a drummer for right. everyone's sake. Right. It's, I'm doing y'all a favor. <laughs> <laughs> I got energy. I need to get out. I'm getting it out, you know? And I feel like that's everybody, man. You know, we need to find a way to, to, I don't think we can actually fight the system. I think that's, that's a, a misconception. Maybe that's just the old man in me. I think, um, but I think there's a lot of avenues now to leave the system. And I think we should build something else. Yeah. I and mean, there's, there's some to do of it together, that. Though. When it does come to like the Kickstarters and uh, even Bandcamp, um, when they do their Bandcamp Fridays where you could, they, you, it, where all the money goes like to the person, like the creator, like there are like avenues for that, um, mm. that kind of have started in recent years yes we got uh john west off in the house nice what's up john or at least we had him in the house hopefully he's still around that's all good john john's uh john's the writer on my number six favorite comic of last year oh yeah <laughs> just missed my top five <laughs> drum six of doom we'll have him on soon <laughs> yes yeah very excited for that conversation too <laughs> two of my favorite topics comics and drumsticks there you go <laughs> uh, so yeah like the like there are kickstarters and things like that where people are directly supporting the creators to create the things that they're trying to create um right still comes back to money i guess on that one but well and there's but there's a has, community around that that's yeah that's a start. kickstarter has really definitely um catalyzed something that was missing from the creative community which is the ability to self-fund um through crowd uh, support and i think it's undeniable that if there's no kickstarter there's also no patreon um and patreon is responsible for a lot of creative people staying in the game yep. so there is a way um my, I guess, and you know what? Maybe this is an unnecessary concern now that I'm thinking about this. 
why do we spend so much time worrying about what's on the fucking radio if no one's listening to it? Right. I don't you know, even I think never... about the radio. I think about that just as often as I think about cable TV because I don't have that either. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's yeah, it's like who cares who gets on a Spotify playlist? Just stop using Spotify. <laughs> um, yeah, that's you know that's pretty good solution. But you know, I watched. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the group chat about this uh, documentary called Punk. Yeah, that was, um, you know, co-produced by, with Iggy Pop, and uh, the way they lay out the the process is very interesting because, like, punk really started in the '70s, but it didn't really get its attention. Uh, like, we think of punk as like this, you know, it's everywhere, but up until we were kids, it was pretty much nowhere. Mm-hmm. and the transition point was just it was like this explosion that like this kind of supernova that happened all at once um but it had been building forever so there was like 25 30 years of go fuck yourself and then like we're gonna do it anyway we don't care what you think and then five years of holy shit it's happening and then it felt like the 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 air got pulled out of the balloon a little bit because all the money got involved Right. And it kind of split the the community. So a lot of the things that we've talked about in the early days about, you know, what is punk, what isn't, um, who defines these things. This is all this is all the debate of our generation, because before that, it didn't matter. There wasn't there was just punk. There was like the stuff that was really loud and aggressive that was only playing in occasional venues across the country. That was all there was for punk. There was no need to like split it up. But right. after that mainstream moment, all of a sudden, we had to think about like, what is that punk? Is that punk still? Like, right. the band, band kind of changed. Are they still punk? Yeah. Is that punk to me? You know? <laughs> um, yeah. And that started the argument. I think we should go back to, I think what punk is, is the state of mind when you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I think we should find a way to get back to that. I don't know if there's like, maybe there's a Kickstarter for music. How does music do on Kickstarter? Do you know? I mean, I've seen some bands like last year, the stereo um, put out there. Like I see bands putting out vinyl, some relatively good size bands, um, but small bands. I don't know. Um, yeah, I know that it's happened, but I'm not well, sure. Like, challenge... well, Sorry, go ahead. I'm just not sure how like how big like how much money they're actually getting from them if it's anything over yeah. what they need to make the album or. Yeah, the other the other problem with music that I guess comics mm-hmm. or even role playing games might not have is that it's best in a group happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shows are kind of what music is about. <coughs> like a movie, you film and then you cut and you put together and then you can show it a thousand times. It's going to be the same movie. A right. song, when you see it live, you can't do a movie that way. Yeah. <laughs> you I used to a live movie. All right, cut. Okay, move to that camera. Okay. <laughs> so uh, last month we had, we had Josh on, uh, Josh Cater. Yeah. 
I used mm. to work with them all the time um, on different things on, on online and stuff. So it was like early 2000s. I went and saw his um, his band Duval play, you know, probably 50 times or more. Like uh, I'd, I'd, every weekend I'd be out watching them once or twice sometimes. And mm. it was a great time. But people would ask me, like, you're going to see them again. Like, doesn't that get old? You just hear the same stuff all the time. And I'm like, every time I hear that song it's new again. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's not just listening to this. I've heard that song. Sure. But I haven't heard it like tonight. <laughs> like, yeah. And you don't really like, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this better, but like, I always feel like when I'm seeing a band, even cause like, you know, I see a lot of the same bands too. I see the, a lot of the same fucking sets mm-hmm. if I'm opening. If like, the, if I have a band opening with us for like two or three uh, shows a year, I see them two or three times. Yeah. And you know, it's usually the same music, same set, that kind of thing. And, but it's, I'm not listening to the songs. I'm listening to that, the band. Like, the, yeah, there's the, an the energy that's like just really, that's beyond the music. Yeah. 100%. Like I, I went last year, um, Jawbreaker played the House of Blues in Chicago for four nights. I went wow. to two of them in a row and I was kind of upset that I wasn't going to all four after those two shows. Like, I wanted to keep feeling that. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's see, that's the thing is like it's kind of a real time event. So I guess this leads into the the uh, the other side of the music situation. And I don't think it's a coincidence that music is the thing that's being assaulted from every direction, as opposed to some things are getting like D and D, you know, role playing games. They there was this one company that was like, we want our cut. And everybody else was like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah, and they're nah. like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's kind of role-playing games in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the other side of music other than albums is uh, access to venues. Hmm. That's like, from my experience, that is the hardest part about being a musician. It's just finding a fucking stage. Yeah. I don't know why it's so damn difficult. Like, it doesn't seem like venues understand how music works. Because <laughs> they seem to think that if you have a bad band, that people won't drink at your establishment. Mm-hmm. As if their slow Monday would be ruined by a guy with an acoustic guitar singing kind of badly. You'll probably get more drinking. <laughs> I would rather watch a guy struggle on a stage for 45 minutes while I drink my two or three beers than have to listen to carry on my wayward son for the seventh time. Right. You know, maybe that's just me. (laughs) Well, and I'll go to a a show at a bar and the people that are at the bar and at the tables and stuff that aren't up by the stage they're just doing what they would do any other night anyways. Like it's, it doesn't exactly like good music doesn't affect them. So bad. Music right. isn't gonna affect them. <laughs> they're just there to drink and have a good night anyways. Yeah. But there's also an advantage, an unseen advantage of having those terrible musicians struggle up there for 45 minutes every Monday, which is they get better mm-hmm. and then they become real musicians. You know, I've never been a fan of Bob Dylan. But I imagine there was a time when everyone agreed that Bob Dylan sucked. (laughs) And at some point, he was able to find his voice. 
Mm-hmm. I think his voice is annoying. Yeah. That doesn't change the fact that he found it. And I'm grateful for that because he did improve music in his own way mm-hmm. by doing his own thing. I feel the same way about a lot of uh, other, um, you know, like disco. I was not a fan of, but there are certain bands that did it in a way that I'm like, God damn, that's disco. I get it now. And if it weren't for that slew of, you know, subpar, in my opinion, projects, I wouldn't have been able to to find that one gem. So like, mm-hmm. we should be more grateful for terrible bands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish there was a place for them to play a little more often. Like I was in a terrible band for a long time. I was in multiple terrible bands. I was also in a bunch of awesome bands that never got to play anywhere. You know, yeah. that seems to be the, the crux of the issue for the music uh, situation. So do you think during, so during COVID, nobody could play anywhere. And nope. so everybody went online mm-hmm. that like stopped after COVID. And I know people are back to work and stuff, so you can't jump on maybe at one in the afternoon and get, but there are still people on the internet all times a day. And That's I don't true. see as much of that. It's kind of strange. Now then like, referencing again, back to our last show with Billy, like he's, he, that's where he's doing it now. Um, yes. So there, there is that, um, but I used to like every time I go on Facebook, I'd see some band that I know on there playing some songs and um, like really utilizing that space. And yes, well, um, uh, my band, uh, when COVID hit, the band that I was in attempted that. And I can tell you that there are some unseen barriers to entry uh, f- that are hard to see for non musicians. I can speak to this for comic creation as well, because I've always been a half decent writer. And I was like, ah, I can make a comic. And then I started looking at how much artists cost. And I was like, oh, shit. Even cheap artists. I mean, cheap, quote mm-hmm. unquote. It's, it's not yeah. cheap to make a comic because you need a lot of art. It's not. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. And you need someone decent enough that it looks like art when they're done. Yeah. So like, that's not cheap. You probably, if you give a shit about your comic, you're going to want a particular aesthetic, which means you got to be, you know, picky about who you bring into your fold. And then you're also rolling the dice on whether or not that person's reliable with deadlines. Mm -hmm. And then how do you market? So there's all in like, then we're getting into lettering. Lettering is its own thing. Covers. Covers are a separate scenario entirely. Printing costs. Distribution. I, but I'm not even getting into that. I'm just talking about getting your first five panels hard enough. Yep. Music is a very similar thing where if you're a fan of music, you don't really see all the moving parts. So if you want to have a live performance streamed online, you need everybody in the same room or some sort of like lossless connection where you don't have lag interfering with your performance. Because I can tell you, it's hard enough to keep everybody in time when they're all in the same right. room. <laughs> um, then the second thing that you need is, um, you know, properly uh, mic'd equipment and then a mixer and then some sort of way to monitor yourself so that you can hear what you're doing and not just going, please God, I hope this sounds good. Right. Which is what most live venues are like, but at least you can hear the music bouncing off the back. Of the right. Room. That's true too. Um, then you need uh, a strong enough connection to be able to to put this on, at least one camera, uh, 
with a half decent understanding of how to place it. Um, and we're not even getting into a good performance. That's just to put on a piss poor performance. Right. So it's difficult. And uh, all of that, I think the issue is that all of that is on the musician. That there isn't an infrastructure to support the creation of music. Because like, this is something that I've been tr struggling to try and resolve in Toronto. Not alone, but you know, I'm one of the people trying to do it. Is how do we foster new musicians and encourage creative growth? Mm -hmm. Because that's the source of all the good stuff. And it's the solutions are simple, but the execution seems to be impossible, which is give them a place where they can work on their shit and find like-minded people to share in the, in the effort and let people know where, where they're doing it and when. Yeah. But there's somehow, it seems like all, all the fine print has made it impossible for that to happen. And that's a damn shame because like, what is the point of all this hard work and prosperity that we're supposed to be working towards if we can't listen to a fucking tune or two? Right. That's the thing I can't get my head around. It's like, what is the purpose of controlling all this art? What is it? Like, what does it do for the people who own it? What does it do for us? How does it, how does it help? Yeah. And they often do hurt, you know, like, well, even bands, the, the punk bands in the nineties, late nineties, when like they, there was the big boom and then it kind of trickled because the albums that were being put out under the, you know, Geffen and stuff weren't, weren't the same things that people have been listening to from those bands and they all that money actually kind of hurt the sound of bands in a lot of in some cases that's true yeah i mean the the financialization of music is the reason why everything sounds the same now you know um i mean every period has its sort of uh features mm-hmm I listen to a lot of, I have a friend who's like obsessed with seventies and eighties and he's like, it's all he ever listens to. And like, you listen to that stuff long enough, you start going, did everybody play in this key? <laughs> so it's, it's a problem of music perhaps, but it's also a problem of, um, I think I might've mentioned this before, but um, the lead singer of, or sorry, the lead guitarist of a band called comeback kid. I don't know if you know who comeback kid are. Mm -hmm. They were, they were like one of the uh, hardcore, the, one of the like, tail end car hardcore bands in the late 90s and early 2000s okay and um they were they were a lot of fun to listen to um but they didn't really get uh a lot of public attention and it seemed to be in some ways political okay from their characterization of it so anyway the lead guitarist ended up kind of doing his own thing and he decided to do a bit of a documentary style uh, approach to writing an album where he got all the producers that made all the quote unquote hits like uh, the producers for Nickelback, the producers mm. for Justin Bieber, that kind of stuff and yeah. brought them in and said he wanted to make a, like a punk metal album and wanted their, their input and uh, just tracked what they said. And there were times where he would play like a riff or like a, like a chord progression for them. 
And he said that at one point, one of them stopped and said, I like what you're doing, but if you change that F to an E, according to our, our research, it'll sell 20% more records. <laughs> and like, when I first heard that, I was like, that is not how this works at all. <laughs> That's like in the restaurants when they say, you know, if they use red in their logos and stuff, it's going to be like so many restaurants have red. Like it's makes it yeah conjures that hunger and stuff. Like. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the, so thing you bring that like, into the arts. You're not, you're not making art anymore. You're making money, I guess. I've always felt this way about advertising. I remember like when I was a little kid, I remember asking my mom, how does anybody know how advertising works? And she was like, well, it's everywhere. So it must work. And I was like, but no one ever stops. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody ever tried just like not advertising and see how it works? Cause it might be just as successful. We don't know. Right. It's just, it's weird. Like the amount of things that we just kind of assume are successful because the people who do it are rich. Right. And it's like, maybe they just own it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, I think people should, I think local shows need to make a comeback. Mm -hmm. And I think th that in some way we should be pairing this local scene stuff with online. We got to be able to marry these two worlds. I think that's really the solution. And I think that'll work for, uh, every scene. I think comics can be a part of the local scene as well. You know, punk was driven by the zine movement. Yeah. It really was. The reason yeah. that you knew a band was coming to your town was because zines were uh, being distributed. So. Or like local papers that are essentially zines. Like we have the Illinois Entertainer by us. And yeah. You would, you would go grab that and you would flip to the page that had the listings at the Metro like right. all the time. Yep. But even even prior to that, there was a time where punk music couldn't be put in right. the local news. And it was the zines and, and word of mouth that was that was making it work. We don't have those barriers anymore where we can kind of like broadcast. The thing is, we need to be curating who we're broadcasting to a little more effectively. I think we've been kind of deceived by this concept that we can be international superstars yeah because we have access to the whole world well yeah but the whole world has access to the whole world <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> it's a bigger problem than we thought you know <laughs> yeah like, and who am i compared to like baby metal right <laughs> and that's that's hard when like you're trying to make your living off of that sort of thing like i personally i like i, I think i've mentioned before like i like my job and i i make my living there i do this sort of thing because I've always I can't play music, but I love music. Like music is so important to me that I want to be a part of it in some way. And this is something I can do. Or um, all my comics are very music based, and uh, I've done album art and things like that. Like I just I want to be a part of music, even though I can't make it. And so I'm here. Like and it's, it's not like you know I'm not trying to be an internet star or any of that. And you can do that. <laughs> Yeah. But like th the reason I'm doing this is because there's a conversation to be had and I want my voice to be heard. I mm -hmm. don't care how many people hear it. I just, I want to be on the public record. That's really <laughs> all it is. I want my take to be on the public record. 
And I think that's the bare minimum we can ask for out of the goddamn internet, you know? Um, but there's, there's like a separation that's happened amongst all of the different creative processes. And I think the internet uh, is seen as a facilitator, but I think it was actually just a tool in, in the, uh, you know, the arsenal of the man. Uh, mm. however you want to characterize that. Um, it's, you know, the Napster days were a totally different universe in terms of what the internet could and could not do. Right. It could not surveil me. Um, and uh, it, it couldn't, uh, my ability to communicate with people was not limited in the same ways that it is now. And I wasn't limited by my own uh, biases either. I think the algorithms make this very difficult. Yeah. I think it serves a very particular master, the algorithm. And it's not, it's not us. That's true. Even uh, when it comes to discovering music, because that's one of the things yeah. that was great about, um, about, uh, <laughs> about Napster, was I discovered so much music during Napster. Um, and now I discover a lot of music through Spotify and I often will go and purchase a, vi a vinyl from somebody like, like when you introduced me to sprints, I mm -hmm. ordered the record as soon as it became available. Um, Buster shuffle. Like there's a whole list of bands that as soon as I loved their music, I went and bought their album just to support them. Cause I know listening to Spotify isn't, but um, the Spotify also does run on algorithms and I'm being fed music constantly i'm not stepping out of any kind of zone when i'm listening to music on spotify you know like i i there's probably stuff out there that i would love that isn't you know pop punk and, and uh, that's the funny thing when i um with my co-workers and there's a there's a good circle of friends that i have as well where um when we're choosing music uh they generally turn and they're like, Ben, what you got? Because my, my tastes are so fucking weird. It's the only way to describe it. Like I've always liked weird music. Yeah. I like music that makes you go huh? <laughs> like all the time. And so my tastes are so strange that my algorithm doesn't know what the fuck to do with me. <laughs> and so it feeds me all kinds of interesting stuff. But that's a feature of my personality, and I wish it wasn't a feature of the program. Yeah. You know, because I've, I have found that people get in boxes a fair amount because of the way that Spotify feeds music. Um, it even puts me in certain boxes, and I notice it. This is, the, this is the thing for me. I notice it, and I'm like, I don't like that. And I start actively searching for stuff that's outside <laughs> of that box so that it changes my algorithm. I'm, I'm a psychopath like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't expect other people to be like that. I just wish it wasn't like the passive version right. you know, that everyone's just kind of being fed. I got you know, a, the advantage. Sorry. Go when, ahead. when I got my Spotify wrapped this past year, it was like, congratulations. You listened to 15 different genres, but then it was like skate punk, pop punk. <laughs> like it was just like lists of all different punk genres or subgenres. <laughs> like, yeah, right. but did I? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Did you decide those are 15 different genres? Yeah. Cuz like 
that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem though, right? Like, you know, uh, part of that um, Commons podcast that I was talking about earlier, that the the host was talking about how, how we went to see a show where there was this uh, punk band from here called the OBGNs. They're doing quite well. Um, they played uh, played with uh, Death from Above mm. and um, Pup recently, uh, so they're on their way up. And uh, I've seen them. I've seen them around. They're doing well. And uh, they were opening for uh, um, a hip hop crew here in Canada called Snotty Nose Res Kids. And he, the host, had never listened to Snotty Nose Res Kids, but they're huge. So most of the crowd were there to see them, uh-huh. and they weren't there to see a punk band. But even he said, even the most um, kind of like dissatisfied people were kind of coming around to the OBGNs by the end of the set. Uh-huh. And he has consistently been listening to Snotty Nose Res Kids ever since he saw that show. And like, that's the advantage of the organic sort of local scene is yeah. you're not stuck in your box. And shows like that used to happen every day all over the place. It's it's actually it's less often that um, uh, an opening band is a local band anymore too, isn't it? Like when it comes to big bands, like they roll yeah. through in tours with two or three other bands, and you don't really get that local. Like I remember seeing OK Go when they were a little band mm. opening up for They Might Be Giants, and they were just they were a small band in Chicago, like and. There, there used to be all kinds of bands like that. Um, but now when I go to a show, it's you don't really get that. You might get one opener that's small. But even when I saw um, Jawbreaker, now Smoking Popes did open for Jawbreaker, but that's not the same as a little band opening at this point. Um, they had like a, yeah. they had a comedian open for, like open the show. But there was like no smaller bands, really. It was yeah. Built to Spill and Smoking Popes and like bands that were pretty big in the 90s with them yeah um yeah part of the same algorithm one could say <laughs> right yep yeah so yeah even in those cases like they don't you don't get so many small i mean i remember seeing a lot of openers where i'd be like oh they're awful but like you said earlier they get better like <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah. playing my tees and- um well i don't know there was a time where they were better than when they were big i guess but uh, that's there's some debate there <laughs> Sure, but you know that that debate goes for every band ever, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is, I I don't ever want to go to a show where every band is going to be exactly what I'm listen what like would prefer to listen to. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck I want. I make music for a living. I don't know what the fuck I want. <laughs> the average person knows even less than that. You know, I, like if there's anything that makes me good at my instrument, it's access to music that I normally wouldn't listen to. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if we're doing ourselves any favors by limiting the scope for the sake. And this is the real crux of the problem for me. For what? Yeah. A dollar. I don't know, man. It doesn't make sense to me. seems like I would happily be poor (laughs) as a musician for the rest of my life. If it didn't mean, 
if it meant that this industry thing would collapse, I would happily just keep making music quietly for nothing. If it meant that this, you know, mechanism wasn't in place and I could play shows, if I could play shows to a thousand people every, you know, couple months and make nothing, right? I'm in. <laughs> Sounds great to me. How would you feel about that with comics? Like if you could continue to make nothing, but you knew you had a dedicated audience that would. Yeah, I'm kind of already there. I wouldn't mind a big, <laughs> little bit more of an audience, but I mean, I might yeah. make it by the time I'm done with the Kickstarter and shipping out books and stuff, I break even at best usually. So it's, yeah. and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not somebody that's out there really pushing it and trying to grow in it. I'm getting done what I want to get done. Really. That's the thing. Like that's the goal is to get it out. Yeah. I'm creating um, art and I'm getting stories out that I feel I need to get out. Yeah. I think the deed is its own reward in this case. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about music. And you know, that to me is like, we should maybe start uh, implementing a strategy where breaking even is the rule. I think that would benefit the arts if we were to kind of organize ourselves so that whatever profits are made get reintegrated into making better art. I think that's instead of, you know, you, you had, I don't remember what your post was anymore, but I made a comment on one of your posts like last week that sometimes you're making a decision between, am I making art or am I making a product? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, let me think what that, post was about originally i can't i can't recall exactly which one it is i post too much <laughs> yeah <laughs> calm the fuck down ben <laughs> yeah. follow me on facebook yeah um, <laughs> um yeah i i i wonder if that would be maybe the move if you were to require whatever artistic thing you're doing if you make profit, it's got to go back into the product. Which is basically what I do now. I, you know what? Yeah. So, like, there's there's comic shows, um, and they're generally filled with people that want to work for, like, Marvel or DC in the end. Like, and then yeah. there's the – I love going to the zine fests more. And the zine fests are people trying to get stories out and trying to – they're putting out their black and white things. Like, I do kind of a thing in between, I guess. Um, that mm -hmm. kind of plays, it can play in both arenas, but, um, I, like, I love going to the zine shows and the zine shows when I'm talking to people and I'm looking at the work out there, it feels like art, like, and, and not so, so much. What, a product. Would you, what would you say the difference is? Um, I think in some cases it's the end game of the individual making it like what they're trying to do. Like, I don't think can a lot of times see. Uh, like a distinction between them like when you're looking at it can you tell the difference oh and like the the final product yeah usually the zine thing's a little more diy um sometimes made straight off of a copy machine i when i started blister my first blister comics i actually bought a big printer and um i was printing them myself with i had to get toner and all this shit like um and i was printing them at home and i was cutting the edges myself like cutting down. So like, and I, I think there's a lot of that. Uh, there's people that are 
you know, taking their files to work and printing it on their office printer at work. And they're, um, so it's, it's a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, it's a lot more, a lot more black and white. It's not so, um, polished. Um, and does the polish take something away though? The lack of polish takes something away or does it add something? I think it depends on which side you go to. If you're going to a zine fest, I think, because I had some, I had some comics that I had done, like superhero parody books, that I was there at the Zine Fest with. I actually, so I sat next to uh, the last time I did a Zine Fest was a few years ago before COVID, um, the Chicago Zine Fest. I was seated next to this artist from uh, San Francisco named Lawrence mm -hmm. Lindell. He had just put out this great book. Um, it was, um, it was basically very uh, pos positivity um, towards like his race, like he's, he's a black artist and he's, it was like, um, I can't remember what the name of it was, but he had, he had just been on like the today show, um, in his town and stuff. And so like, there was like swarms of people coming up to like find him, which was, didn't really help me at all, but it was cool. Like, <laughs> so like I got to chatting with him a little bit later in the show and stuff though. And he was looking through some of our stuff and I had done a small blister story in the back of, um, uh, like an anthology that a friend was doing and he like flipped to that and he was like he was looking at the parody stuff that was really polished and stuff and he looked at my blister thing that was a little more rough and stuff and he was like you need to do a book of this he was like i would buy this from you right now and i was there like you go i do <laughs> i know it but <laughs> and it took another i don't know that was probably five years or so ago when i now i finally have my blister book but um I think that there, there's, that's something that's a little more appealing in those shows um, that maybe is less appealing to some people at a comic show. I don't know if it's less appealing. I think, I, I mean, really everything's think that got its own crowd. There's yeah. I think there's a feeling of realness in certain things. Like you can feel when someone's trying to make a buck. I know that there's no science behind it. I don't care. I, I know that, I, I can sense intention. I think everybody can sense intention. Yeah. And it's fundamentally the controversy that happens in stand-up comedy from time to time. It's like, you know, I, I, I don't know about you. I can tell when someone's just telling a joke and when someone's trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, it becomes readily apparent to me very quickly and not just me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, there, there's a place for both. There is a place for both. Certainly. I mean, there's some great indie comic artists that really want to be successful and are really out there doing it and putting their, you know, just putting in their time and really fighting to get that success. And I wouldn't, I would never, I wouldn't want to say like, oh, they're, they're not putting out art. I mean, no, 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 no. It's not, they're I'm not more, mutually exclusive. I'm more thinking that, um, I think maybe the comic industry and the comic scene as a whole may be harmed more by not being able to make different riffs on Wolverine or Spawn mm. or Spider-Man uh, or insert DC character here. I don't read DC comics. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've always felt this. I had this conversation with um, uh, a drummer that I replaced it was a very awkward meeting. Um, I had heard uh, less than stellar things about his departure. 
Uh-huh. And I was a little nervous because he seemed a little angry about how things shook out. And I didn't really know the guy. I just got, I was just the replacement. Um, he ended up coming to a birthday party for my bandmate. And I met him. And uh, very nice dude. But when we had a conversation about the music, um, he he at first thanked me. He was like, I want to thank you for uh, working on, like kind of coming up with your own thing and not trying to copy me or anything like that, you know. And then he said something to the effect of like, uh, I know it would really bother you if someone copied your work, you know, like, uh, you know, you understand you're a drummer too. And I was like, actually, no, I like, I wouldn't care at all. He was like, oh, I mean, come on, you, you, it wouldn't bother you if someone just like ripped you off, like exactly beat for beat. And I thought about it and I was like, that would be the highest compliment someone could, could pay to me is to be like, that song is so good. I can't change a thing. And the other advantage I have is if, if all you have is the ability to copy what I did, I'm already 10 steps ahead of you. All right. Cause that was like my worst work. Yeah. You know, I want to do better from here. So please feel free. Copy. I'm going to come up with some new shit. I work in marketing and the amount of times that um, a company in the past has come to my company that I, well, I used to work for um, and said, my competitor is doing this. I want to do this. And the amount of times that I've been like, that's a terrible idea. It's already being done. Like do the thing, do another thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> do literally anything but that like came to us to keep up and copy them like right <laughs> yeah that's silly <laughs> yeah but that that that's kind of encouraged right like you know that i think that part of the problem might be that you know people think they deserve uh the rights to an idea in perpetuity um but it's I like, don't think that, sorry, go ahead. It's like in, in my case, like when it comes to like blister, I mean, I wouldn't want somebody jumping out and being like, Hey, here's my new blister comic. Uh, but um, also like my blister stuff is, I mean, it's something that I think only I can write. Yeah. Like you're writing well, something else. If you're doing that, like. That's something that my, uh, my buddy, he's like really good at business. And he said this to me about, you know, someone was talking to him about a business idea and, and they were like, yeah, you know, I, I worry about someone stealing the idea though. So I don't want to talk too much about it. He was like, no one's going to steal your idea. It's yeah. like, what do you think they're going to like do all the hard work that you did for the last five years and more <laughs> to do your thing? No, that, that's not how anything works. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, if you didn't get it off the ground, they don't want any part of it unless right. <laughs> you've already done it like yeah that that's the thing that i have a problem with is like if you want to own superman well you can't you can own superman but you can't own flying and being super strong and shooting right. lasers out of your eyes and being from another planet so what do you even own <laughs> the symbol <laughs> come on what are we doing this is silly it doesn't seem like it's going to help anybody and it's the same with music you know, uh, I, I've recently listened to a bunch of pop music uh, in my friend's car when we're driving to and fro. And uh, a lot of it is like direct ripoffs of like stuff from the 60s and 70s and even the 50s that they've now repackaged because the copyrights have been purchased by someone else. 
and they've repackaged his dance songs and slightly changed the lyrics. Yeah. And I'm like, this is where we're at. I can't wait to hear the new cut of, you know, Beethoven. <laughs> I actually kind of am excited. About yeah. That. That, might, that might be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> that might be, that might be a fucking banger. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I love when I um when I so like we watch a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah, and um like all the music from that is all like stuff from like you know the 1930s and stuff like it's all public domain music because they didn't yeah. have any money when they started that show and it's all it's become part of the show now like yeah <laughs> yeah it's part of the vibe I, that's the yeah that's one of my favorite things about that show actually <laughs> is like yeah. the the sort of infomercial 1940s infomercial music. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it <laughs> definitely does have a vibe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I know. Um, yeah. I think that the whole uh, public domain and all that, that could be a whole nother <laughs> animal, but. Certainly. Certainly. Well, we're at the hour mark. So yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to continue, but uh uh, we, or we can change subjects. Um, but, uh, I've kind of said everything I need to say about, about this one. I don't know about you. Yeah. No, I don't think I have anything to add at this point. <laughs> yeah. I think, we, I think we could probably wrap it up for this week. I think, uh, yeah. I think we have, I would a just end it with yeah. my local and that includes your music. Um, yeah. And, and if it's not local support the little guy that you're, you're checking out on Spotify. I mean, that's right. And if you go to a show, buy something. Cause the guy, those little bands at the shows, they're not making any money. If you like them, pick up their album, pick up a shirt. I mean, that yes. it goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. If you don't support the arts, there are no arts. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it is really like legitimately just up to us. Yeah. Yep. You know, we will be the thing that saves it. So we better get to work. I just, you know what, um, not to get restarted again, but when it came to the pandemic, so I've always like supported smaller bands because I worked with smaller bands and stuff. But hmm. when the pandemic hit, it was like, I started ordering like albums from bands that were online doing their things because I wanted to, I realized that they, they're getting us through this. Like, and yeah. I want them to continue and it's not just going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, that's, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of repeat what I said before. Like, I don't know why we put all this hard work into creating a stable, peaceful society. If we're not allowed to make art, it seems kind of pointless. What else were we doing this for? So we could make more widgets. Right. That's dumb. <laughs> Like, I don't want just an, uh, a phone that can connect me with the world. I want stuff to connect to. And the harder we make that and the more restrictive uh, that process is, the less people will be involved in it. And all of our suffers as a result. We've never seen, I mean, we've never seen a world without the arts. You have to go back to like the Wild West or something like to get even then. There was some crazy dude with a banjo. That's true. You had the big carnivals that would roll around and stuff with wild yeah. stuff. Like we, but like we have seen a world now recently with COVID and stuff where there was nothing 
but the arts. Like you can't yeah. do anything but experience arts. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think people need to realize how fragile that can be. Yes. Yeah. And how fortunate we've been to be able to take it for granted for so long. That is a privilege. Like we are very, very lucky to live in a world where we don't have to think about music because it's everywhere all the time or comics or um, communication, you yeah. know? Um, but the stuff we ignore tends to become uh, absolutely essential to pay attention to at certain points. I think we're at one of those points. I think when you see the, the larger financial forces in the world start to descend on the artistic community and try and like pick its bones, it's it's definitely a time to start trying to plant something new. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't, I'm not meaning this in a doom and gloom way. Every great music movement, every great artistic movement that's ever happened, happened because things stagnated. And that's the catalyst for all the greatness. I think we're entering one of those stages. And I think there's an advantage to being on the ground floor and being involved in the process. Because it means you're like doing the right thing. You're doing, you know, the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope yeah. that's a fight that we can contribute to here. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, we're already doing what we can. Yeah. All right. Um, always a pleasure, man. Yes. Great time as always. Um, we'll be, well, we'll be back next week with something. <laughs> I can't yeah. say what it is yet, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll get there. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Ben, thanks for joining me. Yep. Pleasure. Glad I, to join I love you. doing this every week. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah. All right. And broadcast. <laughs>